Welcome to the Defence Forces podcast brought to you by the Defence Forces Public Relations Branch. Hello and welcome to the Irish Defence Forces podcast. My name is Captain Keen Clancy and today we welcome onto the show Captain Steve Keane, a member of the Communications and Information Services Corps of the Defence Forces and specifically a member of the Computer Incident Response Team. And we're going to chat a little bit today about cybersecurity in the Defence Forces. Welcome on, Steve. Thanks for coming on. Thanks very much indeed, Kane. Pleasure to be here. Great. So, like, can you give us, before we kick into talking all about cyber and stuff, which is so um, big in the media at the moment and big, you know, in light of the HSC attack and all that kind of things, um, can you give us a bit of your own background and uh, when you joined the Defence Forces, your career to date? Yeah, sure. So, I studied as a computer engineer in Maynooth before joining the military in 2008. So, I came in as a graduate, uh, commissioned to the CAV Corps, served with First Armoured, and um, I did the CISYOs in 2016. So after that, I worked in the CIS school in the Curragh for a couple of years, and I, two years ago, I took up the role as OIC CERT. Cool. So you, so you, you have two, two years experience in, in the cybersecurity end of it? I had some initial IT experience, and then I suppose between the YOs, that built on it, and then a lot of on-the-job when, when I got into the role. Okay, cool. So like... For, for, for people outside, as I said, cybersecurity and that kind of thing, the words are bandied about an awful lot. But what exactly do we mean by cybersecurity? Well, pretty much you're looking at protection of your IT systems, so your laptops, desktops, servers, and the computer networks from an attack, and specifically a digital attack. So, I mean, there's a lot in the media these days. These attacks, generally, they center around data and people's data, sensitive data. So maybe being exfiltrated, taken out of the network, changed uh, or deleted. Um, denial of service is another type. So limiting people's access to a service, say a portal online, uh, which will bring down a company possibly or limit people's access to something that they need access to. I mean, the, the economy, the cybercrime economy, it's worth about an estimated five and a half trillion euro annually. So oh. this is, yeah, I mean, and it's expected to grow approximately 20 trillion over the next five years. So it's huge. It can be done by people in very high tech uh, countries, but it can also be done with a laptop in someone's, in someone's house. So it's a, it's a very easy way for people unethically to make money. Right. And it's a very, I suppose it's very difficult to combat in a, pro, in a sort of a proactive reaching out way. So would you say the best thing to do really is just to beef up that your own sort of security and sort of preventative measures against that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a number of aspects. Yes, you need to to beef up your security, as you say. You need to um, train your people as well. The most amount of the breaches that occur are generally because of a social engineering where somebody within the organization possibly has been fooled into clicking on something, downloading something, or they have pretty much maybe less so maliciously done something, maybe a disgruntled employee. So generally the, the insider threat is quite a serious and hard to combat threat because this person generally has access to your network already. So really what we look to do is train our users as well as implement the strongest network security we can. Okay, right. So and what you're talking about there is you, like you're talking about you have won the lottery, click on this link, kind of a, <laughs> that sort of a thing. That sort of thing, yeah, exactly. And so I suppose moving on, can you give us a bit of an overview of, say, the history of cybersecurity in the Defence Forces and, and kind of, like, when did this start to become a, a, a big ticket item? I suppose it's, it's always been uh, with DFHQ CIS. So the Defence Forces headquarters have a CIS company located in Dublin, and that's always been a task of that unit. And historically, the IT operations teams who deal with, as, as the name suggests, the IT operations of the Defence Forces networks, as well as the network team who deal with the 
transmission of data, that was part of their remit, but it's a huge remit as well on, on top of what already is a very large workload. So 2012 with the reorg, the CERT team was established. And again, under the auspices of DFHQ CIS company. And the mission really, amongst other things, to, to monitor and respond to threats to defense networks, both, as I said, externally, but also the internal threat as well. Uh, CERT have staff that are dedicated to this. We, we have our dedicated staff. We do heavily rely on DFHQ CIS company staff as well. Uh, the CIS field units in, in Cork, Dublin, Naval Base and the Air Corps as well as the Curra, also supply a lot of personnel to us on a project basis. Mm -hmm. And we do have a very strong RDF involvement as well. A lot of our subject matter experts come particularly from two brigade RDF. Okay, and, and obviously that, that is part of the like the single force concept with regard to the Reserve Defence Forces and, and also the, the idea that really utilising that specialist skill that people who are reservists may have from outside that, that, that they may not have been able to get inside, if you know what I mean. Or Absolutely. These people live it every day. This is what they do for their companies. They're highly trained. I mean, the fact they put a, a uniform on in their spare time means they're highly motivated and they bring a, a very large force multiplier to us. Great, great. And so what are the broad principles of cybersecurity as far as uh, the community, computer incident response team is concerned? Okay, well, within the military, we have the Defence Forces Cybersecurity Policy and what we devolve from that are the five pillars. They are effectively our left and right of arc. Uh, these give us what our mission really is. And it's defense of military networks primarily, uh, response to any incident and the resolution of it, strategic relationship development, the reaching out to, to partners nationally and internationally, uh, the increase of cyber awareness to try and combat that insider threat, as well as the education and capability development of our personnel. Okay, right. And like... How, like, from a, a practical, from a practical perspective, like, how, how, how do you, how do these principles manifest themselves? Like, what, what, what do they? I mean, you obviously explained it a little bit there, but can you go into a bit more depth in them? Yeah, sure. So, the defense of military networks is this is very similar principles to the defense of a military installation. So, we're looking at layers of of defensive security. So, network security devices, uh, multiple layers, different vendors. So, if if there's a vulnerability in one vendor, it doesn't give keys straight through to the castle that, that we have backups to backups and um, that these are audited constantly, check the configurations, make sure they're working as they should be. And um, that would be a main facet of the defense of the networks. Also, we're constantly researching new technologies. Uh, as as um, remote access was rolled out, we then had the challenge on the lead up to that too. How do we secure this? How do we give the customer, the defense forces, the ability to remotely access the network to a certain degree, but to do that securely? And I suppose that was in response, obviously just for people at home, that's in response to COVID. It's, it's, it's rolling with the environment that's around you. For the first time, we had to have people who were able to work remotely. Absolutely. I mean, it was always something brewing in the background. Certain staff already had it to a smaller degree, but absolutely, COVID really pushed that forward and, and made us really look at it in a, in a security fashion as, as strongly as we could because we had previously had an air-gapped network. So there was no direct, nor is there a direct connection from the internet into us. And that's like having everything in a lead box, secure, but as things move forward and our customer needs access remotely, we, through maybe gritted teeth, have to do it, but we have to securely do it. Okay, right. Fair enough. Um, and like, 
any other kind of like detail on those kind of like various other challenges she, that she faced like you know and, and that kind of thing there's constant challenges and it's not a, just a defense forces challenge it's it's across what would be the blue team world so really when you look at cybersecurity, there's many different different i suppose actors involved but really the top two are blue and red so you have the defender and you have the offender any blue teamer is constantly acting reactively to threats so yes you have your proactive measures you can do but when an attack happens you are generally reacting to that attack and hoping the preparation you've put in beforehand has been up to scratch as you've done your layered defense as we said you've made it as difficult as possible uh, for the attacker to to gain any inroad into your network so that would be one of the the major difficulties that all organizations face but how we practically deal with that, there's lots of different ways, as I said, through R&D, through constantly auditing, through constant awareness. But it's also through one of the other pillars I mentioned, strategic relationship. So reaching out to other partner nations, to other companies, to academia, and to having a collaborative effect and um, sharing knowledge, basically. Okay, fantastic. And I suppose to, to, the, to the end of actually having personnel that are qualified and, and expert in this field what kind of what kind of training qualifications um are personnel are available to personnel in this area well uh, all of our staff are cis staff that that's the first one and they are from our technicians point of view who are the the they are t- trainee technicians so they would have gone through a level seven in electronic engineering with a um an emphasis on military communications so that's the baseline they come in with which is a very good networking and it background course uh, the officers who come into us would have a uh, the CISYOs, which I'd mentioned before, and this is a year-long master's in information communication management. So, there, uh, which has a degree of security training on it. That's what we get as a baseline. From there, we have specific courses then that that we run. Some internal some true na- uh, vendors that we have outside and some true other nations uh, such as the NATO CCD COE or the Cyber Center of Excellence. Mm. So yeah no and, and I suppose from from the perspective of like as in NATO being the sort of gold standard of, of, of like best practice for militaries around the world and as a partnership for peace nation we're opened up to access to those to those courses and those exercises. We are absolutely um, courses exercises policy these are the experts in the field and we currently have somebody seconded to the uh, center of excellence and through them we do have access to, to best practice so the training that we're doing is cutting edge the uh, the certifications that our personnel get from it they mean something they are they're very uh, civilian applicable as well but they make sure that our people are trained to the highest standard the information sharing as well is something that means we can as proactively as possible get the threats get the feeds see what's going on and protect ourselves from them. Okay. And I suppose you know we've all we've all these like the level sevens that the people call, the people get trained on and 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 all these qualifications. But I suppose on an actual practical, real level, what do these qualifications enable people to do? What like what are the things that you can do after you finish that training that you're capable of doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, training without a product or a skill set really is is irrelevant. So we put them through a certain security training baseline, and after that. We put them on courses such as a certified ethical hacker. So if you want to be able to defend your your infrastructure, your devices, you need to know what the tactics, techniques, and procedures of the red team are, of the the adversary. So we teach people how to do this. And um, we, we teach them how to, to hack websites, to hack phones, to hack laptops, etc. 
And from that knowledge, they can then do two things, I suppose. One is protect us as, as well as possible, but also show awareness training to the audience within the, the defense forces. That's actually quite good. So we deliver presentations, for example, and this would be to career courses and new entrants. And we talk about the different um, facets of cybersecurity that are important, but not just to the organization, but on a personal level. So password strength, phishing, spear phishing, what it is, how to defend against it and how to spot it. But that's all good talking about it. One of the great skills that our, our technicians have is that there'll be a hack demo on it. And we will show you how to create a phishing email, how to craft it, where the information came from, how to send it, how to have a website in the background that's cloned, that contains this malware or malicious software, and how it's deployed and what it does. And we systematically can show people, once the attacker's in, this is what they can do. There's a keylogger there. This keylogger will record every single keystroke that you type into your computer, possibly email it to, to an account on the dark web. It will possibly have a backdoor in it that will allow them to access your PC at any stage, switch your webcam on, a lot of stuff like that. So not only does it show people what the attacker can do, we give them the lessons at the end and say, this is how you can protect yourself. So there's a lot of skills they get from that one particular course. Yeah, that's fascinating, I suppose, from, like obviously learning how to do that so you can protect yourself, but that's so invaluable for the education piece as well. I'm sure that probably, I'm sure there are probably courses that are done outside the military for people as well and companies to, to educate, not necessarily by us, my point is that like it's such an invaluable thing to be able to educate your normal user of a computer of the things that they could be walked into just from lack of knowledge. Absolutely. And you don't want to technically bamboozle people. You want to give them the, the high level of this is how you protect yourself. It's not there to scare people. They might at the end of a brief kind of go, right, phone in the bin, that's it. But it's all the mitigations. It's all the small things that you can do to make yourself a less attractive target. It's the same thing as putting an alarm on your house. It's not going to stop somebody breaking in, but it may make them think twice or may go somewhere else, which yeah. is really what you want. Fantastic. So with regard to say stakeholders outside, and we, we kind of mentioned, obviously we, we mentioned working with uh, working with the NATO Centre of Excellence and that kind of thing, but within Ireland itself, we also work with, with a number of other organisations on island, am I correct in saying that? Absolutely, yeah. So as I said, collaborative effort is, is the way forward. It's the only way to do business. So we have a very good uh, relationship with the National Cybersecurity Centre, a lot of ex-military who are there who keep that link uh, alive and... Um, so we exercise with them, we train with them, and we information share. So it's a, it's a good way that should there be an incident and the defense forces deploy, that we are already exercised with a body that we can as seamlessly as possible deploy with them. Yeah. Uh, we also have a very good relationship with true industry and academia, with, with certain security vendors, with, um, for example, the Cyber Cluster in Cork, which is a fantastic uh, group that uh, common in Ken Sheehan, He's the officer in charge of First Field CIS or First Brigade CIS in Cork. Uh, he works closely with the Cyber Cluster Manager, Dr. Owen Byrne, and board members there such as uh, War Technology CEO, Pat Larkin. And it's, it's, an, it's a great initiative. I'd, I'd say to anybody, it's not military specific, it's Ireland Inc. Have a look at their website and see what initiatives they have. It's all about bringing the standard of education, training and awareness countrywide up to try and... Uh, Protect people, protect our economy, protect our, our institutions. 
and, and the defense force are hooked in heavily with with, with that. Which Absolutely, is great yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and Common and Sheen does a lot of work with them. He, he's uh, he's held talks with them, and uh, a lot of proactive work there. You'll find within the cyber community, it, it's very much an open community. People want to work with uh, with other organizations. Fantastic, and I presume there's an awful lot of, in, of innovation way on there and, and constant kind of development of our various capabilities. Absolutely, yeah, there is, and a lot of the the work that we're doing, rather than duplicate what's been doing out, been done outside or in the process of being done, we can, we see what other people are doing and we collaborate. We join effort rather than, as you say, reinvent the wheel or duplicate the effort of other groups. There's a cell within the organisation that deals with the uh, innovation. Uh, Commandant Damien Griffin is um, is leading that, and that again it reaches out to academia to set challenges and to see if there's an a solution, a fresh set of eyes, non-military set of eyes, bring a, a fresh perspective to solve some of the issues that we're having. Okay. So, like as regards, like we've mentioned, like reaching out to other um, organisations and that kind of thing around Ireland itself. But as, and we've mentioned a bit about say NATO and Partnership for Peace. Can you give us kind of an example, a bit more detail onto that coming together of nations in in like a cybersecurity exercise um, yeah. field? Absolutely, yeah. We participate and have done for a number of years in a NATO exercise called Cyber Coalition. And this is a blue team exercise. I know I've spoken about blue team being the defensive side of it. And we're looking at 25 plus nations come together and there's a scenario that has been set up with a number of storylines and you react so, for example, some of these storylines would be due would be to do with critical national infrastructure. So, a gas pipeline has been hit. Your team have been deployed to a nation to assist them. A, a ransomware attack, or an attack on a network, or even just an investigation that a laptop was found and there were restricted documents on it to try and find what happened, how it happened, and how to stop it. So, it's a collaborative exercise. It's not a competition. And what's very good about it is you are put into a number of different component commands. So the air command, the land command, etc. And within that, you have a certain amount of nations. For example, the last time we participated, we were with the French, Romanians and Swiss, uh, amongst other nations. And what it did was, as our teams are going through the exercise, they're going through their SOPs, their standard operating procedures, and they're investigating, they are analysing, they reach out either through a phone call, through an email, uh, through a VTC to the French. How are you getting on? How are you getting on with it? What, what are you doing? And you collaboratively see it from possibly a different point of view. We contribute their effort and they to ours. So it's a very, very positive uh, exercise where you're not burdened with competition where people might not share because they want to win. In this one, it's a collaborative effect with that. We had members of the National Cybersecurity Centre who were part of our team. We had members of CCI or the Cybercrime Investigation Unit in UCD who were part of it. And we had a number of security vendors who had offered their services for the likes of reverse engineering the malware or really doing a deep dive into the ones and zeros and finding out what it does. So yes, we were collaborating internationally with it, but it also brought us to a position where we could nationally get behind it and exercise the way we would fight, train the way we would fight. Yeah, that's great. What, I mean, what a great facility to have. Absolutely. And one of the things you'd mentioned before was with COVID and the remote access, we were able to deploy our teams geographically where they were based themselves. So we had a team in Cork, for example, and they could stay in Cork and they could log on through a, an interface that we had, we had set up internally 
and they could collaborate. We, we had secure voice, we had secure chat, we had file storage with the people in Dublin, the people in Cork and the people in Galway. So it showed we don't all need to be in the same room to do it and we can all do it collaboratively internationally as well. So And it also was very good because it showed the quality of the people we have as well. We don't have a lot of, uh, of personnel. As with every organisation, you're crying out for more. But the people we do have, the skills they have are, are exceptional. That's great to hear. Fantastic. Um, I suppose, given that say, the HSE cyber attack is so, so fresh in everybody's mind and it was such a huge thing for the country, can you give us insight into any kind of notable incidents with regard to, say, cyber security or cyber, cyber incidents that you've been involved in, as much, as much as you can obviously say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the most recent was definitely the HSE assistance uh, in, in the aftermath of the Conzi ransomware attack. And um, I suppose CIS and CERT were involved initially from an incident response point of view. So through uh, reservist members of Twofield, we, we um, were contacted very early on, asked for assistance, and we were able to deploy our personnel directly there to a number of hospitals. So it's early days of the operation at this stage when we were deployed. And really what we're looking at is stemming the blood flow, is finding out what's happening, how do we stop it, and how do we get them back on their feet as quickly as possible? So um, we had a number of personnel deployed. Obviously, I can't go into uh, massive detail on it, but we had personnel there who were who were analysing the malware. What does it do? They were also hunting for the threat actor, the adversary on the network. Is the person here? Is there a level of persistence where when the network is brought back up, there's still something nasty hiding in the corner which comes out and undoes all the work. So you have to make sure that all traces of the infection have been removed. And then we had people taking forensic images of, of a lot of the life-saving uh, PCs and, and machinery that's there. Testing of the decryption, which was inevitably what you want, is everything decrypted and uh, back to business as usual. Yeah. So they were the main tasks. After that, though, we had all of the CIS field units uh, involved through Air Corps and Navy as well. And this was deploying the decryptor. So decrypting all of the data and getting it back up to full working order. And up till extremely recently, we've been involved nationwide on that with the HSE. Yeah, and it's fa- that, I mean, that's a great description or a great bit of, bit of detail into um, into what was going on because it was obviously mentioned an awful lot in the media and even from my perspective, from my work, that it's, it's in the media, but like a lot of people wouldn't realise the, the depth and, and, and the utility that the Defence Force provided to the HSC at that point. Yeah, there was. I mean, there, there was a lot of expertise all countrywide that was involved. The Defence Forces, due to its flexible nature, we were able to deploy very quickly. We were able to deploy nationally, geographically, to a lot of locations, you know, from every corner of the country due to the amount of barracks and their locations. So we were very flexible. But, I mean, it was great to see all of the different companies, all the different entities were there, they were present, they were at the briefings and everybody's saying, what can we do? It was a very positive experience. Yeah, really pulling together moments of solidarity. Yeah. Which is, which is wonderful, which is great. Um, so I suppose, kind of in your estimation as well, this is obviously a, a massively growing field, um, both in the military and outside the military and for in private industry. For, for the Defence Forces, what, what, what do you see as, as looming up in the future for cybersecurity? It's only going to get bigger. It has to get bigger. The, and it's recognised by, by the European Defence Agency, by NATO, by, by any credible military force that the nature of conflict has changed. You, you don't just have kinetic conflict 
it is or will always from now on or for the most part be preceded by a cyber effect so whereas the germans would have used a blitzkrieg to soften an enemy this is just another tool this uh, cyber effect to possibly take down critical national infrastructure disable a country's electrical uh, grid i mean that would effectively cause chaos uh, to disrupt the command and control of a military take down their networks take down their combat radio they are softening effects that can be done beforehand so that threat is there it's being deployed it's being deployed at the moment in a lot of places and because it's below the threshold of war it doesn't have the same ramifications that landing a, a 155 round into a nation's capital would have mm -hmm. so it's it's so easy to deploy it's geographically irrelevant you know we don't need to be within range of a missile we just have to have an internet connection yeah so um it's only and it should only be resourced more that really underlines that point of vigilance and education that we spoke about earlier isn't it absolutely yeah, it's a really kind of terrifying sort of thing when you think about <laughs> it like you know especially when you initiate it it is, and I think a lot of the time when, when we think of Ireland on the edge of Europe and having the buffer of east of us and west of us, large nations with large militaries that are friendly towards us, it gives maybe a false sense of security. It is the case that we have allies worldwide, but it also is the case that any nation can reach out and, and launch an attack across the internet. You mean, it goes back to, do we block every single connection into the country and make ourselves safe? No, you can't do that. You economically would be destroyed. But we have to deal with the threat. And we have to realise it's a threat. Put in the mitigations, but put them in early enough because it's not a light switch flick. People yeah. have to be trained. It has to be put into place over years for it to be effective. It's fascinating as well, yeah. I mean, it's, but like we've talked about the expertise, as in it's a huge, so you're right, that flicking of the light switch thing is very interesting. You can't just turn on the cybersecurity at the wall. It, it, it has to be staffed and manned and trained and that kind of thing. No, it's fascinating. That's really good. Well, thanks very much, Steve, for what really was a fascinating insight into cybersecurity and the defense forces. I'm sure there's a lot of people, um, both within and without the organization, that will find that really, really, really interesting. Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, for the people within the organization who have an interest, I would highly recommend keeping an eye on, on our internal um, feed icon, uh, the TTS scheme, the trainee technician scheme, usually around the summer, around about this time is advertised. Uh, for officers, the CIS YOs will be advertised as well. Keep an eye on it. For people outside the organization, reservists. If you can get involved with the reserves, particularly two-field reserve, they, um, they are very active with us, so it is a way to get involved. Great. For further information on the Irish Defence Forces, check out our social media channels and military.ie. Serving members are also encouraged to check out the members area of military.ie. The Irish Defence Forces podcast is available on Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Corporal Keith Harrison of the Defence Forces Audiovisual School. This episode is the final episode in the current series. However, the Irish Defence Forces podcast will be back soon with further episodes. Until then, thanks for listening and stay safe.